And during the summers going into high school, I was very fortunate to be in this camp in Milledgeville, Georgia, where they were Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins. You may not know who these people are. Um, uh, James Worthy, all uh-huh. those guys. It went to something called a big man's camp. Yep. And it was in Milledgeville, Georgia, outside, no gym. And okay. they would teach us all these skills. And I went every year. And that's how I knew I was not going to be a professional basketball player. Because they had four courts. And on court one was all the names I just mentioned. <laughs> yeah. And the rest of us always worked to try to get to court one, which I never made it. So I knew, okay, this is as far as you're going. So that's sort of the the glitz and the glory, or and I guess the defeatism that went along with whatever basketball career I had. Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back, everyone. I'm extremely excited to share this week's episode, and it was a pleasure and honor to talk story with this man, Randy Morris, who has one of the most interesting stories, and he's always a pleasure to be around. Very positive attitude, and he's one of these people that if you stay around him, he brings out the best in you, and he always makes the people around him better people. Listen into this episode. You won't want to miss it. You can hear his backstory of how he moved to Hawaii and where he is today. He is a mentor, a trainer, and an extremely positive influence to all of his young athletes and clients and families. I won't get too much into it, but you definitely, definitely want to stick around for this episode and hear all of the great stories and hear some of the things that he does with his company called FitRM. And he offers everything from training to mentoring to really just helping these athletes be the best person that they can be, not only in sports, but beyond that through life without saying anything more let's jump into this episode and i hope you enjoy welcome randy to the podcast this week and it's been about over a year i I think since i've known you and i'm always impressed with all the great things that you do but thanks so much for joining us this week oh no problem i am just honored that you think enough of what we do to want to talk to me about it Yes, of course. And so we're going to get into everything. I think you have one of the most interesting stories and you help all of your athletes in ways that I would say very few people or companies help their athletes that holistically. But let's start with your story, Randy. I know you shared a little bit with me before, but for our listeners, let's go over your background before all of this training and you starting your company. Let's start from when you were growing up and what sports you like to play and what you were around. So originally I am from Anderson, South Carolina, and um, it's a little small, small town. Kind of grew up in a farm rural environment. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was, I was born in 1962. So you're talking about uh, almost 60 years ago when sports was not, they were not as competitive. Mm-hmm. Not really. People didn't really train. Mm-hmm. We played more. Sometimes we trained, yes. but it was more about playing the sport and being around our coaches and just doing what they told us to do. So it's a little bit different than the era that we find ourselves in because training wasn't as mm-hmm. prevalent as it is now. So growing up um, and being six foot eight African-American guy, it was um, probably... Um, apropos that I ended up playing basketball. And so I did play baseball, I think one year and I hated it. (laughs) And I've always had, you know, a basketball go kind of pounded to the side of the house. It was made out of a, uh, bicycle rim because we couldn't afford that. And so everybody in the neighborhood would come to our house and we would learn to shoot through that bicycle rim, Mm -hmm. took all the sports out and just had some odd shaped basketball. And that's how we did it. And so um, it was more about getting out of the house and 
playing sports after school every day or playing basketball after school every day just to be active until it was time for all of us to go to our different homes for dinner time. So that's kind of the environment that I grew up in, um, not knowing that one day coming all the way from South Carolina that I would be living in Hawaii. So yes. here I am in a, in a totally different environment. But um, to move forward in that story, as I grew and I guess had to work hard to be some sort of athlete, I was noticed by a Caucasian um, woman. Mm -hmm. And back then, Caucasians and blacks did not mix at all. And uh, she saw my friends and I playing. We were playing in a park, I believe. Mm-hmm. And she asked me if she could speak with my dad. And so, of course, when some Caucasian woman approaches us, we think we've done something wrong or there's going to be a negative influence or negative. It's something negative attached to that. Mm-hmm. But that's probably one of the greatest things that happened to me because her name was Mrs. Burris. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to ask my dad if I would play on her son's basketball team at the YMCA. Now, understand, back then, rural African-American children did not, could not even go to a boys and girls club or to a YMCA because whatever that cost, we couldn't do it. Mm. And so she just, you know, she, but she didn't know that. So she asked my dad, and of course there was a no because we can't afford that. And so she said to him, then I will bear the cost and whatever the uniforms and the travel well, that was revolutionary because then I was the first African-American boy in my um, town to actually play on an all-Caucasian team. So oh. I had this this coach, this Coach Bill, I'll never forget, who took me and started to train and to teach me because I had the worst-looking shot but knew how to make it go in. Yeah. I dribbled, cause we, and we dribbled up the hill, so we didn't know about all of this fancy stuff that I thought I saw when I went to the YMCA. So anyway, um, let me make this go faster. No, so no I worries. guess from the age of, from the age of 10 to probably 20, okay. she came to every single basketball game I played. She paid for every shoe I put on, um, all the clothes that I would wear that were athletic. Um, mm-hmm. Every trip I went, she paid for it. Um, every game I played in college, high school, she was always there. And so that was not meeting that angel, so to speak, in my life. Probably I would not have been able to turn the corner to be able to understand what really playing the game of basketball was all about. So mm-hmm. as I got older, she did tell me, I can remember we were traveling to Florida one time. And uh, she said, what you have to remember is when you get older, I want you to do the same thing for people that I'm doing for you. Mm-hmm. And that's that's your way of showing appreciation. So that's kind of like where I came from mm-hmm. um, and how I evolved in the sport. Um, so it just seems like it was yesterday. Yes. But, the, but the challenge... The, the the mantle, the mantra that she spoke to me is exactly the thing that drives me um, to try and do and be what I do every day. Yes, definitely. And I think I think you do a great job of that, paying it forward, giving it back. And it's so interesting to hear that story because it shows all of the things that it explains why you do certain things that you do with your company. Before we get into your company, so with basketball, explain a little bit about what kind of player you were and what lessons what lessons you learned playing basketball majority of your upbringing and what was that like playing basketball through college? So, so to talk about basketball, I think I first have to talk about the, the, the rearing environment that I came from. I come from a, a really, really strict, fundamental Christian Baptist backwoods, everything you see on TV with those small churches and the dirt roads. Mm-hmm. That was my experience growing up. And so it was more important to to live the golden rule and to put other people first. And mm-hmm. even to this day, it resonates in my ear for, that my father would always say, you have to treat people better than you treat yourself. And no matter what you do, you keep your word. Mm-hmm. And he was very, very um, hard on us because I came up 
through hard integration. Mm-hmm. And he was very hard on us about school. And a funny story, he was so hard about it. He really didn't care about sports. I mean, he knew I was pretty good, but he didn't care. But I was never allowed to make an, a B, ever. Anything lower than an A yes. just would never happen. And so, and, I, and he told me, if that happens, you won't play basketball for a year. And mm-hmm. of course, being a rascal, I don't know. I don't know whether I believed it or not. <laughs> but somehow I ended up making, I think it was in science or something, I made a B. And he pulled me out from playing. Mm-hmm. I didn't play for a year. And he was good friends with the varsity basketball coach at the high school. I was in the eighth grade. Okay. And he made me go to all their practices. And after every practice and game, I was left in the gym sweeping the floor. Okay. Because he was trying to teach me. Yes. Trying, and I know that sounds like child abuse, but he was trying to teach <laughs> me that academics and grades are more important than anything. And Mm-hmm. The sport you will be without, but the discipline and keeping your word and being the best person that you can be is far more important. And that's probably why I'm so hard on my athletes, mm-hmm. because I know what discipline will do. And, and a little bit in our culture now, we're afraid to discipline our kids. And so um, the people who come to me, they know it's going to be tough. So um it was pretty good. I played in high school, made the team. My um Freshman year, played, started my freshman year, Mm -hmm. was a five-star athlete. I'm trying to go fast through this. Um, (laughs) Was Mr. Basketball in the state. Um, I was Fab 50, Mm -hmm. Mm All-American, all of that stuff. Recruited by more people than I want to talk about. Have seen some things in recruiting that were just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. But I set my sights. I never forgot that he said academics. My father said that. Academics were the most important thing. And so what I did was I set my sights on a school called Furman University. And not many black people went to that school at all. It was highly academic back in that day. Okay. And I, that is where I decided I wanted to play. And at that time, I'd been recruited by Clemson in North Carolina and Georgia. I mean, just lots mm-hmm. of schools. Mm-hmm. But I was holding out. And I think that Furman thought I wouldn't want to play there because of my... Uh, notoriety. And so they weren't recruiting me. And so I knew that the other way that I could go there was to become what's called a Furman scholar. And for the high school that I went to, then they gave full right academic scholarships. So uh, I said, I'm going to go to Furman one of two ways, either academically Mm -hmm. or for basketball, because we couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. There was no way my dad could pay for that. So anyway, I ended up getting both. I got the full right scholarship for basketball. And I got the academic scholarship, which I did not need to use. Uh-huh. So it went to my best friend, actually. She got it. Um, and so I played basketball through college. Freshman year going into, I think we we're going to play against the Citadel or somebody. I forget who it is. Okay. Had an extremely bad hamstring pull. Okay. Start Was starting on the team, had a hamstring pull. And so I ended up having to sit out. And then I, they found out I had extreme hyperextension in my knees. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up having two orthoscopic surgeries on my knees. Okay. And so my basketball career was somewhat hampered. And, and during the summers going into high school, I was very fortunate to be in this camp in Milledgeville, Georgia, where they were Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins, you may not know who these people are. Um, uh, James Worthy, all uh-huh. those guys. It went to something called a big man's camp. Yep. And it was in Milledgeville, Georgia, outside, no gym. Mm-hmm. And they would teach us all these skills. And I went every year. And that's how I knew I was not going to be a professional basketball player. Because they had four courts. And on court one was all the names I just mentioned. <laughs> yeah. And the rest of us always work to try to get to court one, which I never made it. So I knew, okay, this is as far as you're going. So that's sort of the, the glitz and the glory or, and I guess the defeatism that went along with whatever basketball career I had. Yes. But it's still remarkable that you had that experience and even backtracking a little bit, probably all of that discipline that you learned growing up from your parents and, you know, the culture and everything that really helped you to be highly recruited, be very successful, get to college. And even though, 
you know, we all have, I guess, our genetics and physical limitations to a certain extent where you realize that you're reaching your potential. But just to be even on the court with those people, even though it wasn't court one, I think that says a lot about your drive <laughs> and your work ethic and everything about you. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's awesome to hear. I mean, that story. And I think for athletes, especially the younger athletes coming through the next generation, it's good to hear someone that has your experiences talk about how important school and all these other things outside of sports are, because that that's very, very important because sports, like you said, it will, it won't always be there for you. You know, things happen or, you know, you retire from sports eventually, but things like the discipline and things you learn growing up, like how you're paying it forward. I think that's, that speaks volumes that will last forever. Like you, you always mention. Yeah. And well, the, 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 I'm sorry. No, no, no. The, 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 the issue of the discipline is because the transferable skill is what's important. And mm-hmm. I think that somehow we've lost some of that, mm-hmm. the glitz and the glory in the social media and the the swag, the flexing that goes on mm-hmm. from the seemingly successful athletes somehow cause our nowadays generation to believe that it's probably easier than it really is mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. there's just such a small percentage of people that even make it to the D1 level. Yes. And so my my thought is always the ability to turn the athlete into the best person they can be mm-hmm. is really far more important because this is what I'm saying in my story. The only thing that my parent, Mrs. Burris, my high school coach, who was a, who makes Bobby Knight look um, like a panda bear, because uh-huh. that guy was crazy. <laughs> but, um, um, but those people were more concerned about me being the best version of me mm-hmm. and pouring into my life for that reason than whatever basketball could or could not do. Because mm-hmm. back then there were not that many teams like now. And so very few people had the opportunity to elevate to that level. And so it was more about how am I going to be successful? And, you know, it's interesting that we're having this conversation today when we are facing Mm -hmm. such injustice amongst the African-American culture, because that fight to, to, yeah, that fight right there has been the fight of my life Mm -hmm. because I had to understand that it really doesn't matter for me what color my skin is. What matters for me is the character that I present to the people who see that. Yes. And so when I know when my students see me at first, of course, I'm six, eight and I have a bald head. So of course, at first they think, oh my God. But then I think somehow the character, the level of integrity, the, the honor mm-hmm. that I try to bring. And I, and I will tell you that I purposely set standards high mm-hmm. for characterization in my organization because I feel like as an African-American man, I have to, mm-hmm. especially in Hawaii. They have no idea what that means. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I think it's, it's interesting that in the timing of everything, well, you and me, we always talk about how things happen in the right time. And it's interesting That's that right. we're having this conversation now because yes, with all of the injustice and, you know, racism and all of this things, these things going on right now, it's, it's good to give this message because that's what it is. Everybody needs to be the best version of themselves. And yeah. we shouldn't place this judgment just based off of race or how people look or whatever it is that could be good or bad. And I completely agree with you that it's, it's interesting to hear all of this, your story and everything, because it does bring light to a very relevant time with everything that's going on. Well, I also think that, that if we look at how we are responsible mm-hmm. for athletes. And I am going to go way out on a limb and say, mm-hmm. a good coach is very difficult to find. <laughs> and so I make my families, mm-hmm. and I'm using the word make, 
go through an extreme evaluation before I take them in. Mm-hmm. I don't accept students based on their their level of competency. Yes. I don't base I don't take them based on their sports performance, their parents' last names, mm-hmm. or their potential. I take them based on the family's structure mm-hmm. because we have the ability as coaches and trainers to say things that will shape someone's life. Yes. And if the fundamental core beliefs that I have, whatever my best practices are, mm-hmm. don't align with that family, there is that means that that's not the right student for me. Yes. So I don't, I, that's why my organization is small. Yes. That's why it's small. And that could keep me from making lots and lots of money. But I'm more concerned, but that's the Mrs. Burris mentality, mm-hmm. right? Is that you look at the bigger picture and and I think that people who run large organizations here, um, sports training facilities, sports training, I think they do a great job and I refer a lot of people to them. Mm-hmm. But I also know that a coach is kind of like a pastor. Yes. And the ability to speak into a child's spirit is a very powerful thing because they look up to you. And mm-hmm. as you know, they will share things with you that they won't share with their parents. Yes. And so the trust that a when a parent leaves a child with me for an hour, mm-hmm. that is a tremendous responsibility. The accountability and the responsibility that we as trainers and coaches, it's, it's, it's more important than the, how the lunge is done. Yes. Yes. Way more important. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And we'll get we'll get into all of the great things that you do with all of your clients. But before we jump into that, because I couldn't agree with everything that you're saying anymore before we get to that. So to wrap up the end of your basketball career after that college, yes. was there any more basketball in your life? Recreational or. No, what happened was I was I was recruited pretty heavily out of college um lots of big companies okay simply because of where i'm from and who i was whatever Mm -hmm. and so i went to work for the third largest bank in the nation and was very fortunate to do well and did not want to live in the south Mm -hmm. for the same reason that i don't want to live in the south now Mm -hmm. with what we're going through. So the same thing that we're experiencing is the very reason I live in Hawaii. So so I wanted to get as far away from that as -hmm. possible and not knowing I would live in Hawaii. It was just a vacation that (laughs) turned into nine other vacations that so sports, so basketball sort of stopped Andrew. And what happened was on one of my visits to Hawaii, I saw people playing beach volleyball and I never saw men play volleyball. So I didn't know what was going on. Like what is, and it was so serious. Like what is going on? (laughs) I was staying at the Hilton Hawaiian village and right at Fort Derussi, they were playing and they were like good athletes. What is going on? And I was sitting there because you're asking me about sports and that's why I'm telling you the story. Um, I was sitting there and this guy came over to me and said, do you want to try? And I was like, Nah, I'm good on that. Like, uh, whatever. Because to me, it's like that's that's like that's not a man's. But what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah. And I just was so intrigued, and it was right in my back door at the Hilton while I was a tourist mm-hmm. that I went back the next day, and the guy kept talking to me, and then I made several trips, and I saw it, and then of course I tried, and it was a mess. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's not easy at all. Yes. And because I'm leading to why I'm where I am. Yes. And so that I ended up being known as kind of the beach guy for that reason. Okay. And I think I better stop now because you probably want to ask me another question. <laughs> no, 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 no. So that first time that you, you were on vacation, that first time that you yes. got asked to play beach yes. volleyball. Oh, okay. So then when did yes. you make the move here? After okay. a couple of vacations? So after... So I worked for five years for Nations Bank, which is now Bank of America. Okay. And they kept I kept winning trips to Hawaii oh. for being the top producing uh, top producing branch in the state because I was a branch manager. Got it. And 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 for some me coming to Hawaii back then that was like whoa. And so we worked hard, and I kept coming, and I kept winning, and then 
There was another contest I did with the Chamber of Commerce. I won that one twice. And so I came to Hawaii for free for like five or six times. Okay. And finally, I just loved it so much because I never saw the diversity of people and what I now know as Aloha Spirit. Uh Um, And so I was so intrigued that I told one of my clients who owned a career placement company, I said, you know what? If I win the trip this year, can you set me up with a company that, you know, I can maybe think about living in Hawaii, because I sure don't want to live in South Carolina all my life. Uh So kept it a secret, went to the interview. The company was called Employment Specialist. Mm -hmm. The owner's name was Patricia Brown. I had sent my resume before, and I think facts or whatever we did back then. Mm -hmm. And I met with her. I sit down in her office. She closes the door. She looks at me, and she says, so what is it that you're trying to do? I said, I don't know but I think I want to try to live in Hawaii. Uh-huh. And she looked at me and she said, well, then you're going to work for me. Got it. And I, I said, what? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I kind of want to see what else is out there. She goes, that's fine, but you end up working for me. You'll see. <laughs> well, that's kind of how I ended up here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then you came back here and then I know you're yeah. getting more into your story about how that beach volleyball and then, I know you're going to get into the training. You can continue that story of how it evolved. Okay. Okay. So what happened was went to work for her and I thought, okay, I saw this beach volleyball thing. So I'm going to go down. And back then Fort DeRussi had all these nets. And so I went down there every weekend. There'd be tons of people. And it was good because here I am. It's a good way to meet people. Mm -hmm. These are good athletes, blah, 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 blah. Good way to immerse myself into the culture I wasn't thinking that at 27 years old, but that's what I did. (laughs) So I went down there and um, tried and couldn't. And so what I would do is I thought, you know what? This is so embarrassing. And I was used to being at the top of the food chain. Uh So I found a beach called Queens Beach Mm -hmm. where the sand was deeper than Fort Brucey. Mm -hmm. And I would go down and then I thought better players were actually playing at Queens. Mm-hmm. So if you weren't as good and you just wanted to have fun, you played at Derussi. But if you were serious, you played at Queens. Okay. So I thought, well, that's where I need to be. So I go down and every Tuesday and Thursday after work, I would watch what they do. Uh-huh. And I would stand on the side and I would start doing the motions without the ball. Okay. Moving through the sand, yes. trying to learn how to move through the sand. Mm-hmm. But that's how it all started. So every Tuesday and Thursday, I'd go down. Well, one day this girl walked over to me and she said, what are you doing? Her name is Bert Hayashi. She's one of my closest friends. Now. <laughs> okay. I said, I'm trying to figure out how to move in the sand. She said, can I join you? And I said, sure, if you want to. <laughs> yeah. So she came over and I started doing it. And then her best friend, whose name is Kyoki, came over to me. And he said, what are you guys doing? And so now, to make a long story short, after about two months, there's 25 of us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I'm doing this with local people who know how to play. Yes. But I'm leading the group. Now, this is odd. <laughs> and here I am from South Carolina with a heavy, heavy Southern accent. <laughs> and I'm sure that they were, I'm sure that was entertaining, right? That was part of the 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 the, the allure to it, right? <laughs> yes. And so I thought, you know what, I, I'm, I'm, if I'm going to do this, I better figure out what I'm saying to these people. <laughs> yeah. And that drew me into, okay, you need to be certain, you need to find out how to really do this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I did that. Got my, all these certifications, whatever. Okay. And then the group grew through the years. Yeah. And there would be every Tuesday and Thursday from five to six, 30. Okay. Anywhere from 20 to 90 people with me. <laughs> yes. Working out. Well, Waikiki Tourism Authority caught on to it. And so they interviewed me, made an infomercial, and put it in every <laughs> hotel room yeah. in the Waikiki. So then you started So then the truth yeah. so started coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's kind of how it all started. Yes. And then. To to give everyone a picture, so you were doing like full on beach workouts, like it wasn't even volleyball yeah. at this point. It was just beach workouts, right? That- yeah, I was doing beach workouts, trying to learn how to move correctly in the sand. But it was all about the jumping, the yeah. explosiveness, the speed, mm-hmm. the quick twitch. I know what to call it now. Yes. Um, 
the lateral movement, the eye-hand coordination mm -hmm. was different. So yeah. I, I started getting all this stuff and taking it down there with me. And I bought a truck and I had all these <laughs> medicine balls and all this, all these bands. And, you know, I just was trying to figure it all out. Yes. And so that's kind of how it all started. Yeah. yeah. So how long did this beach workouts continue for with the tourists and okay, everything? So, yeah. Okay. So this went on from 19... 91 to about 2000 it lasted about 16 years oh okay. yeah 2005 2000 it was huge mm -hmm. uh, but what happened was in 2006 mm -hmm. i think it was mm -hmm. i had a aortic dissection okay and i had to have an emergency um open heart surgery yes yes and during that time, and I was at the height of my athleticism, mm -hmm. and the group was huge. And mm -hmm. uh, um, need to back up a little bit. I had also formed a nonprofit organization called the Oahu Volleyball Association mm -hmm. with a very close friend of mine. His name is Paul McCurdy. Mm -hmm. And we used to throw the biggest volleyball tournaments in the state. Yes. And we had and we would do something called the Armani which was our Imperial Armani would come in. Okay. They'd set up all these tents and we would recruit, bring people from all over. It was a huge two-day event, kind of shut down Waikiki. Uh -huh. um, we would also do something, I'm sure that people are familiar in Hawaii with the Riggers organization. Mm -hmm. John Anderson and his family own Riggers and they would throw an annual event and I would do those. Mm -hmm. um, and so I sort of became as the beach volleyball guy because I would throw all these tournaments. And what we would do is we would hold a series of tournaments and charge people. Okay. And we'd take the money and put it in a pot. And at the end of the year, we'd have a tournament and give it all away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and and so that that that's kind of like how volleyball became. I became known more. So more people, uh, Andrew, mm -hmm. know me for volleyball than basketball. Because <laughs> yes. for 15 years, that's my. I was the face of Waikiki. Mm -hmm. Right. So, cause that's what I did. So yeah. anyway, um, but then I had the surgery okay. and, um, I thought, you know, things need to take on a little bit different form for me. Mm -hmm. Cause as you know, in fitness, you have to be able to demonstrate at a certain level. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wouldn't be able to, mm -hmm. um, simply because I didn't want to risk yes. anything. Yes. I could physically, I just didn't want, I just didn't know at that age, why should I? Mm -hmm. So I didn't. Yes. And I formed a company called the Extreme Fitness Club. Yes. So Extreme Fitness Club was the second 5013C that I started. Okay. Um, I had the pleasure during all those years of doing beach volleyball, of training people like Stein Metzger, mm -hmm. Kevin Wong, mm -hmm. Scott Wong, mm -hmm. uh, Tanya Fuamatu Anderson, yes. Heidi Illustre, Robin Amo, Chastity Nobrig. They all trained under me for uh -huh. years. Uh-huh. And so I decided I was going to start this fundamental volleyball association called Extreme Fitness. And what we did is I hired every one of these Olympians or All-Americans and mm -hmm. said, we're now going to do what Miss Burris told me. I had a meeting, said, you guys come around. And I was still in the hospital. Okay. And I said, you guys come around. We're about to do something different. So we started this Extreme Volleyball mm -hmm. and we recruited kids from 5 to 12. Okay. And twice a week, we would bring them in and just teach them the fundamentals of volleyball. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It took off like you cannot believe. Yes. People, and because of the names I had. Yes. Right? Yeah. People heard that. They knew that. And so when you see all of these nowadays, like Alika Williams, all of them. <laughs> yes. Had all of them. Yes. They all, they all. So they're <laughs> Matt Riggs. They yeah. all are very, um, the McInerney's. Mm -hmm. I mean, the list just goes on. But anyway, so they all trained with me. We started an organization. I ran it for, and we did that at a very high level. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes with waiting lists. Mm -hmm. And we would run 12-week programs. The kids would come in for an hour and a half. And it turned into fitness and volleyball. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I started. Yes. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a long journey. And so to back up a little bit too, with all of that beach training and everything that you learned through the years, how did the volleyball progress? 
the what do you mean you mean how did uh, how did you pick the up the, how did you pick up the volleyball <laughs> i mean we want to know how that oh, that elite oh, athlete in you came out well i'm i'm a competitor so what i did was yes i learned the game yep. and i all of these local people taught me how to play yeah and so in the tournaments i would play mm-hmm. and i somehow became really good at it. <laughs> yes, I can um, imagine. Um, and because I had the right people showing me and mm-hmm. they sort of looked up to me because I took the risk mm-hmm. of teaching this class. And so it's almost like I'm sure they felt, okay, we're going to help you too, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And and so it was odd, you know, at least four days a week, we would play from the time we got off work until dark. And on the weekends, we would set up nets at Queens at seven in the morning and Uh we wouldn't leave until seven at night. So I played volleyball at (laughs) least of the 31 years I've been, at least 18 years every single week. (laughs) Yes. At least four or five times a week. Yeah. You're you're playing volleyball just as much as your your day job. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) And so that's that's what happened. See, so in 2008, when the recession hit mm-hmm. and employment specialist, I was a general manager for employment specialists during all these years that I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was responsible for white collar recruitment. Mm-hmm. And so everybody knew me either because I was responsible for hiring executives or they saw me on the beach. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, that's, that's awesome to hear how it evolved. And so after, after all of that, kind of settled down, how did you transition into what you're doing now and your company okay. with FitRM? Okay. Mm-hmm. So what happened was um, my cardiologist, mm-hmm. who um, I'm is still very close to, interesting story. Mm-hmm. I go to see him and he can see I'm apprehensive. Mm-hmm. And he says to me, what are you going to do after employment specialist? And I said, why are you asking me? Because I can tell that you're afraid to be an athlete. So why don't you train my daughter? Mm. I want you to train my daughter. Mm-hmm. I, what do you mean? He goes, I want you to train my daughter. And I said, well, if I'm going to do that, it's going to cost you because <laughs> I'm not going to set my time across because he's very grub, Chinese, hardcore, right? <laughs> yeah. so, well, you're going to do that. Then I mean, you have to pay me. He said, okay, how much? I said, $75 an hour. Yeah. And you got to prepay 10 sessions. He said, okay. Yeah. And so I started... <laughs> training her. And then of course, typical Hawaii, one person told one person. And then, um, a client that I still have who is runs the neonatal center at Mm -hmm. Kapiolani hospital to this day, Mm -hmm. saw me training her and I was training him at all those beach clinics that I was having. Mm -hmm. And he says to me, I want you to train my son. Got it. And I say, Oh, he goes, cause I see you training that other girl. Why don't you train my son? (laughs) Yeah. And I said, and I still have the boy to this day. Um, And I said, okay. And so I, I started doing private training, but I wasn't taking it serious. You know, I thought, okay, if people refer, I'll do it. Well, not realizing that the lessons that were taught to me in that backwoods church Mm -hmm. and all of the other coaches who poured into me, it Mm -hmm. started becoming mentoring. Mm -hmm. And, I I had no idea that I would be like that, Mm -hmm. you know, like I just want to create an athlete, but it really became about how are you doing in school and what is going on in your life? Yes. And so my sessions turned into poor thing. Those kids (laughs) turned into as much therapy as it did the gruesomeness of fitness. Mm -hmm. And so one client led to another and then the recession hit. Okay. So I'm leading into how I got into FitRM. Okay. And the owner says, we got to close. Okay. And it was the worst feeling I've ever felt. And I was so angry. Mm-hmm. I said to myself, I will never, ever let anyone else be responsible for my destiny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to be a full-time trainer. Yes. And so mm-hmm. ever since that time, how has, because you do so much for your athletes. I think the first time that we actually talked about it, I was thinking, whoa, that is a lot of 
a lot of things very 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 useful for them but a lot of things that you do so how has that kind of evolved and developed through the years of all of the things that you do for each individual person um because the responsibility uh, because you 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 said my training was holistic i didn't know that mm-hmm. but I, I i think the the responsibility for humankind mm-hmm. became important and mm-hmm. not only that the families depend on me mm-hmm. like they if no matter what happens i'll give you a good example you know kama mm-hmm. and he um had an injury i'm sure he told you about mm-hmm. he was playing football and got hit in his spleen yep. and as he started to bleed and get into the ambulance he looked at his coach and says where's coach randy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i want coach randy here Yep. The mom calls me and says, I don't know how to tell you this, but you got to come to the emergency room. Yeah. That's the kind of relationship. So when I interview families, I tell them, I know you don't understand this, mm-hmm. but somehow if you do this, I'm about to be a part of your family. Yes. So you need to decide how close you want me to get to your child because they're going to be close like that. Yes. So yes. it evolved because I take the time to really nurture the spirit and the potential for each one of my kids Mm -hmm. from what they, and as you know, from what they eat to the way they do things, their social, domestic, their friend group, how they monitor their time spent on social media, as you know, because you've seen it. Yes. And, and it's microscopic in some ways, but yes, it's liberating because Mm -hmm. as I trust them, they get more freedom. Yep. Um, and now, because of what's happening with electronics, it's I'm overwhelmed with students. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So through through, I mean exactly what you said. It's you become very close to them. You're that mentor figure to uh, for them, and you really influence them in all these different ways in their life to bring out the best in them. And seeing like if you go back to your story, right and Mrs. Burris, how she kind of helped you and did that for you. How have you seen, I guess, these services of training evolve? Um, this is okay. from everything with the training concepts, how it went from no training to now, but also with, we have all of these big time facilities, like how you said, um, there's Exos, there's, what's that academy in Florida that we always talk about? Um, oh, IMG. Yeah, I have IMG. students at IMG. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How, how has that it has come a long way in the past, even 20 years, you know, how have you seen everything evolve through the decades? Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ignorantly tell you in this ignorance (laughs) that I'm not a research following person. Mm -hmm. So I am often not aware of the power of IMG Mm -hmm. or the power of associations like that. So Mm -hmm. what happens is my, I'm going to answer your question. (laughs) My organization is built out of need. Mm-hmm. It's not built out of, and it's sad because I don't come up with a business plan and say, this is what I'm going to do. And so here, it, therein lies my weakness because mm-hmm. it comes out of need. Mm-hmm. When I see a trend with my kids, yes, I develop a program. Mm-hmm. So what I've noticed, so if you're asking me about how it has evolved, mm-hmm. what has happened is because of the lack of a formative dyad between the coach, the parent, uh-huh. and the athlete, mm-hmm. to me, we've gone backwards. Yep. Because now the communication between the coach, the parent, and the child uh-huh. is not as strong as it used to be. Yes. Because parents are too concerned about being coaches, <laughs> and yes. coaches are too concerned about winning. Yeah. So what we've lost is why are we really here? Mm-hmm. What are we, what are we really trying to do? So the services that I provide are more about, I'm going to help you. I tell the family, so let's say I get a nine year old uh-huh. and they realize that they're probably going to be with me until that kid goes to college. Yes. It sounds weird. <laughs> yes. It's the truth. Yes. I say my job is to help you prepare them to leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's my job yeah and whatever that means for each kid is different yes yes so to give other listeners a 
bigger understanding of what you do this is like you said beyond the training you have regular yeah. meetings you you fully yeah. meet and talk to the family before they even become a client and take um jump into your services and you also do these oh. quarterly quarterly meetings too that you bring in speakers that's how i've kind of grew my relationship with you um i don't know i don't know if i'm meeting that void that you're having but you bring in these speakers experts and all of these other people to help to share information to the kids but it's so much that you do for each individual and your program extends way beyond than just your hour and a half training sessions well okay so what happens is yeah that that needs that yeah let's add some color to that mm-hmm so let's say that someone, so I'm a hundred percent referral. Yes. Um, it wasn't until a year and a half that I even put up a website because I didn't want it to seem like I was selling anything. Yes. hundred mm-hmm. percent referral. Mm-hmm. So it's more organic, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say you call and you say, Hey, you know, my nephew, blah, 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 blah. No one can come into my organization until that child with their parent comes and sits and watches Another one of my sessions. Yes. That's the first step. Yes. You got to come watch. And if you don't want to come watch, wrong family. Yes. Next, yes. I'm going to either have them come to dinner or I'm going to sit with them in a non-sports-like environment mm-hmm. to see the character of the family. Mm-hmm. I want to see if the kid is on the phone while we're eating. I want to see if the kid looks at the parent before they answer me. I want to see how, what is the relationship? I want to see. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the second meeting. The third meeting, I'm going to sit down with them and say, okay, here are the goals and expectations we have at FitRM. What is it that you're looking for? Mm -hmm. So it takes about a month, right? With all the scheduling for me to actually bring someone in. Yes. Because what I don't want to do is get a child that's not meant for me to have Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or to do business with the family and somehow become a negative influence. If the quality of life of the family is not enhanced by the experience of Fit RM, it's the wrong family. Mm -hmm. Yes. No, I completely agree. That That means that if that child does not become more confident and start making their bed and helping out in the kitchen and doing their homework yes. and getting better at school, then I've not done my job. Yes. Yes. And that's where you're really bringing out the best person in them. Um, not just focusing on their potential or their athletic potential or how well they do in sports, which, which I really admire about your program because there, there's a lot of great, great kids. I mean, even, when I hear them speak at some of these gatherings, you can definitely tell how much they've grown through the years, but also how much they appreciate what you have done for them. Yes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank it's, thank it's you. very, very obvious. No, but I mean, on top of that, it's such a well-rounded program, I think. And, and without a doubt, you do get them in the best shape that they possibly can be. Cause I've seen so well, yeah, that. They, 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 if you talk to them right now, they're yeah. going to tell you because right now they're getting up at 6am yeah. meeting me at some really strange places in the Island. I had to change it because of COVID. And so I don't have groups bigger than eight Yes, and they're going through uh, deep sand training, mountain training. <laughs> um, I'm trying to train them on every surface possible. And it is very, I'll use the word militaristic, <laughs> yeah. um, the mental anguish that you got to go through just to get through it. Yeah. So I, I think I probably downplayed the fact that these are very good athletes. Yes. Um, people automatically, unfortunately, um, I've been coined as some elite trainer and that's really sad because I'm not, there are so many, including you, so many trainers on this island that are unbelievable. I don't stand a can. I can't even stand up next to you guys. No, no, no. I, no. I know that. No, 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 no. I'm not being humble. That's the truth. But through repetition, because these kids. So let me get to the fitness. Okay. The child meets with me every week. Okay. So that's where it gets a little odd. Mm-hmm. I meet with my students every single week. Okay. They come and whatever their sports goal is, is what we work on. So I don't just do basketball. 
I've got horseback riders. I got a cheerleader. I've got a gymnast. Mm -hmm. I have baseball players. You name the sport. I got fencing even. And (laughs) now I have like lacrosse. You name it. I've got it. They come every week. They come. They're going to get homework. Yep. Some of that homework is right now. My my summer group is going through Urban Meyer's book, Training Above the Line. Mm-hmm. And so they get homework. They have assignments that they have to turn in, along with the repetitious fitness um, exercises that they have to do. Mm-hmm. The first thing that I ask them when they see me is, show me your homework. Yep. And so if, they're, if I'm trying to teach them the proper way to do an RDL, they're not going to stop doing it until they do it right. Yes. Sometimes are teaching them how to do a double under. It may take 13 weeks, but until they get it, they're going to keep turning that rope. So what happens is the students who are part of FitRM, I can say to you, can play almost any sport. Yes. Because I'm more concerned about making them great athletes and less concerned about making them the best wide receiver. I want them to be able to do anything. Yes. Yeah, and that's, if you think about any type of functional training, that's what it is. The more well-rounded you are, you're going to be more athletic and it's going to translate into whatever your specialized position is or sport. So I completely agree. And, And I like how you do a lot of, I mean, I don't think you give yourself enough credit because you do keep up with the times. You do see the evolution of training methods and you utilize a lot of different techniques that that even for myself, I'm not as familiar with when you talk about like slosh tubes, sandbags and things like that. You know, I'm in this indoor facility where, where we don't use too much of those, but I definitely have seen and have tried and seen the value of that. So I think that's where you get, you're really good at teaching them how to move well, how to translate that into just natural athleticism and then it translates to their sport. But overall, I mean, that that pretty much sums up everything that you do. I really like what you do. I, I still want to make it out to one of your sessions and you can, you can uh, impart some of the, the torture on me <laughs> <laughs> to, to go through. Um, but it's, it's definitely, I like that about you is that it's, you're not stuck in how we trained in the 2000s or the 90s. You're always finding the new techniques. You're going to continue yes. ed, you're going to yes. get certifications. Yes. Yes. And I think that was yes. one of our first conversations that we had was that when you're keeping up with things, everything is relevant. So when I started talking to you yes. and then you were like, yeah, exactly. I went to this and I went to this, you know, we were kind of on the same page with a lot of techniques, even though we're, we're working in slightly different settings. But overall, right. I mean, yeah. Is there anything else that you want to say about your training, like where, where it, yeah, what I had to do was I'm now, I decided in January that I don't have enough tools mm-hmm. to actually minister to the needs of my family. So I'm in a master's degree program yes. now getting a, a degree in child and adolescent development, because I feel like understanding why the child is who he is going through adolescence mm-hmm. is missing in training. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being more of a teacher and an educator, not a therapist, mm-hmm. even though the kids will say, I'm not, <laughs> yes. um, but understanding that. And I have to say, I'm six months in and already, and, I, and I'm so excited every time I have a class uh-huh. or uh, it doesn't take very much for me to study because every time I read something, I see one of my situations or yes. I think about a family mm-hmm. and then it helps me to become a better trainer. So I think that probably eventually I'll close it out with this. I'm going to get away from being so concerned about making sure that my wide receiver uh, runs a four or five. Mm-hmm. I can get them. If they have the potential, I can get them there. I'm not concerned about that. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm more concerned as to what are they thinking about why? Yes. Yeah. And how did they get to that point in their life? And what are they going to do to transition? Yes. So education, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm always learning. And, you know, I got more memberships to things than I can pay for. <laughs> yeah. And you understand what I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about. Definitely. But- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's, I, I commend you on that too. And I'm, I'm the same way, you know, it's always about learning. And I think it's yeah. like you said, it's yeah. easy because 
not only because you're in the situation and you can apply it to real life, but I think it's easy for you because it's your passion. This is what you love to yeah. do. And it's the same yeah. thing for me. I mean, all of the things that I want to do, most normal people don't want to learn about, honestly. But for right. me, this is what right. I love to do. So when when it comes to that, you know, the learning, all the continuing ed and applying it, you know, it's it's just, it's like your passion. So it's something that you enjoy doing and you enjoy going to class and waking up for and all of that. Yeah, I... I just got to ask one more question. I know, thank you so much for your time, but one more question. Where can you foresee, you know, with everything that's going on, especially with this COVID-19 situation, it threw everyone for a loop and kind of turned all the training, gym settings, fitness centers all upside down. Um, But where do you see fitness going, I guess, in the next five years, let's say? And how do you see yourself evolving? Okay, so I have three times as much business than I've ever had. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I got bombarded and one of my mentors told me this would happen. He said, this COVID is hit. You're about to get hit hard because these children need rescuing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think that for, if you want to use the word holistic, mm-hmm. I think training is going to turn into that. I think we are going to see people more interested in the mental yep. health issue of fitness more than the physicality, mm-hmm. the technique. And so now I believe that we're going to see people have to become way more creative. Good mm-hmm. example of all of my training now is done on the beach behind my house. Mm-hmm. Why? Because social distancing is so easy. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and it's contactless. The kids bring their own equipment. Yep. And I also believe that the earth provides everything we need. Yeah. And I believe in TRXs. I believe in squat racks. I believe in bench presses. And people are going to use that stuff. Mm -hmm. But really, if you think about it, how we control our body weight, (laughs) I've got these huge rocks and the ocean and deep sand and grass and trees for pull-ups. I've got everything I need right at the beach. (laughs) And I'm looking at my athletes now, Mm -hmm. and I've never seen them this hungry. Yes. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And for I, I'm glad that athletes in Hawaii, because like you mentioned before, we have a lot of great trainers, great concepts, great facilities on the island. And I'm glad that we are adapting and finding ways to still keep people fit and ready to go for their sports right. and activities. But that that's what I would say is that all of these people that have access to, you know, whether it's you, whether it's other centers, whether it's us coming into pro or I'm helping some of them online too. You don't really need a lot of equipment. Like you said, you just need to know how to train, how to move effectively. And I mean, yeah, you've seen pro. I mean, we have all this, all this stuff, but I would say 80% of the time I'm not even using it. I'm just teaching people how to move with their body weight. So that's something that I, I think we have a lot of overlap with, with the training is just, if you move well, you'll get a good workout wherever you are, whether that's on the beach, on the grass, or wherever it is. So, and I think so. when you talk about evolution of sports, mm-hmm. I think that people are going to understand that if I become the best version of me, yes, that's more important because that pop that look at how the power of competition is losing its grip mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because of COVID. Yep. So now we don't even know when we're going to compete yes. or how we're going to compete mm-hmm. and how intense that's going to be. Yes, that is true. But why did my business triple? You see? <laughs> yes. You see? Yes. You see? That, that's absolutely true. And so I know, I know you're bombarded right now and you're busier than ever, but I, I do want to share. And, you know, for people that want to learn more too, I do want to share what is your website and where can people oh, find okay. more information about you? Okay. So it's www.fitrm.com. Okay. Um, and, and if you go there, you can see all these crazy things that we're doing um, right now in the summer. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. they're all sold out and you know, I, that sounds so terrible. Um, you also see <laughs> some of the coaches that are featured there that help me. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I can't take any more students, but um, I do have some coaches who have some time slots available mm-hmm. if people are looking. Mm-hmm. But it's www.fitrm.com. 
Yes. And everyone go check that out. I mean, you can see a lot of great things that you're doing. And even though you're not taking any new new athletes or clients, it's it's still good to, you know, share all of this knowledge with everybody. And I want to leave it on one last note. Is there any last words or um, words of wisdom that you would like to pass on to the younger generation or other people that may not be working directly with you? It's okay to just be who you are, mm-hmm. how you are, mm-hmm. because God has given you a talent. And your responsibility as a young person is to figure out how to develop that talent. Yes. And and you cannot allow, if I'm talking to young people, I would say, you cannot allow social media mm-hmm. to define your ability. Mm-hmm. You have to find a way to become the best person you can be, whatever that is. Yes. Yes. I, I, this was, I had a blast recording this episode and it's so, it's so fun and exciting to hear how much passion you bring to the table. And then also your tremendous story. I mean, this is only probably the second time that I heard you tell me about how you had a following of hundreds and hundreds of people on the beach doing your beach workouts with you and how it was an infomercial (laughs) in the hotel. But I mean, that never gets old. It, It just shows people how, when you start to do the right things, help other people out, then, you know, things pick up. And I hope this is a, this was a great episode, great message, especially during these times. And I think it's some positivity and bringing some light to the situation that we're currently facing with everything in the world. But overall, I mean, thank you so much, Randy, for recording this. We are actually recording this after you did a full day of training, which I really appreciate. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate it.